I, uh, last week, we, would, we, we started off this homily series by jumping into the concept of worship, right? Um, and that whole concept of worship, right? We as human beings, were going to worship something, someone. Um, and what we came down to, uh, what the, basically the, the lesson, the take home for us last week, was that, two, that we came to two conclusions. The first was God is the one that determines how we worship. And the second was, God is the only one that is worthy of our worship, right? So, God is the one who determines how we worship. And second, God is the only one that is worthy of our worship. I start there because um, if we don't remember where we were, then today we, we might miss something that we're trying to build upon, right? And over the course of these next four weeks, this week and the next three, um, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to build and build and build, and I truly believe that come Palm Sunday, it's going to be one of the most powerful Holy Weeks for all of us. So if God is the one that t- determines how we worship, then the next question that we can ask is, then what is it that God asks of us? How is it that God wants us to worship, right? And if we look at Scripture, if we look at the Old Testament, if we look at the New Testament, if we look at the way in which God speaks, how Jesus speaks in the Gospels, and what Holy Mother Church has continued to preach for the last 2,000 years, that word, the answer to that question is a single word, sacrifice. Now, what we have to think about is what does this word sacrifice mean? Because we say a lot of things. I sacrifice for the sake of making a team. I sacrifice uh, for the sake of making the band. I sacrifice for the sake of getting a degree, getting a promotion. Like we, we use this language a lot of times in our world, in our, in our day-to-day. But when we're talking about the word sacrifice today, we want to talk about it biblically. The word sacrifice means, it comes from two Latin words. The first word is to make. And the second word is sacred. So, to make sacred or to make something holy. Now, a biblical definition of holy. We know what to make means. What is a biblical definition of holy? Well, holy, making something holy is making it set apart. It's making it where it's only reserved for God, right? It's consecrating it. It's making it, it's setting it apart so that it's only reserved for God. It's reserved for sacred things. Right? So, sacrifice is to make something holy, and holy is to set it apart for God. I use that as an example because, um, so, as an example, uh, this past year, uh, on Sunday of Mardi Gras, right, just a couple weeks ago, um, we were with all the students, we were having a good time, we are catching the parade. Without me knowing this, um, for where we were catching the parade, if you went about two blocks down the street, coming up, like the parade was passing, um, from that direction, but two blocks up the, sh- up the route from where we were, there was a group of people, there was a guy that was dressed up like a priest. Now, it's Mardi Gras, people do crazy things, I know, I don't, I, I don't judge, but the guy had like a vestment on, he had like the bishop hat on, and I'm like, maybe he could be our next bishop, probably not. But anyway, I, I was sitting there and I'm like, it was funny, because I'm in my collar, and I've got my little like, my little, uh, my little Mardi Gras vest on, and I'm like trying to look festive and be on my best behavior because I got my collar on, because otherwise you never know, right? But we were having a good time, we we're enjoying ourselves, and as somebody's passing on, on the float, there was this lady that looked at me, and she goes, great costume. And I looked at it, and I'm like, no, uh-uh. He's got a costume, not me. And she's like, you're really a priest? And I was like, yeah. And then she bombed me with some beads, and it was great, right? <laughs> 
But it was funny because like there's there's something about like the vestments that we wear. I wouldn't wear it to a Mardi Gras parade, even though purple and gold are two thirds of the colors, right? I wouldn't wear it to an LSU tailgate because um, I, I shouldn't do that, right? Like certain things are set aside; they're set apart for holy things. You'd never see me walking around in a Mardi Gras parade with my chalice, even though it's gold and pretty and has like green on it and stuff. Like no, because it's been consecrated for a particular sacred. For consecrated for a particular sacred action, right? It's been set apart. It's the reason why we, we take care of the vessels that we have. We take care of the altar and the books and everything that we have because these things are consecrated for a particular use, okay? Well, if we're going to have a sacrifice, there are four elements that we have to have for a sacrifice, we're going to go through them. It's going to be very clear. And, and we can't just think about our mass now, but we have to think in, in terms of 4,000 years ago, right? We have to think in terms of temple worship in the Jewish world. The first thing that we have is we have an offering. We have something to be sacrificed. Now, in the Jewish world, those things were typically either livestock, bread, or, or food of some sort, a crop, bread, wheat, or drink. Right? So those were the offerings typically. Today in our gospel, if you noticed, um, Jesus drives out the money changers and he drives out all these people. The things that are being sold are all livestock that typically were part of temple sacrifice. This was a normal occurrence. What happened was, is that instead of doing it outside, they moved into the temple. That's the problem that Jesus has. He doesn't have a problem with them selling these things. It's just you're not supposed to do it in the sacred space. You're supposed to do it out. So when he's driving them out, he's not just angry that they're selling stuff. He's angry that they're selling stuff in a sacred space. Make sense? So whenever you see oxen and sheep and doves, all of those things were things that would be sacrificed in the temple. We'll get to that in a second. So that's the first thing. You need an offering. You need something to sacrifice. The second thing is, is you need a person to do the sacrificing. What we call this is a priest. Now, I'm not a priest because I wear the robes and sweat all the time in mass, right? I'm not the one, I'm not a priest just because I have the microphone and you all have to listen and try and stay awake while I'm talking too long, right? But I'm a priest because what is my role in the church? My role is to offer sacrifice at my hands for the sake of this entire community. We can get to that at the end of today's homily. So we have to have an offering. We have to have something to sacrifice. We have to have a person to do the sacrificing, the priest. Then we have to have a place to sacrifice. The place appropriate for a sacrifice is on an altar. A lot of people think when you walk into a Catholic church that the focal point of a Catholic church is the tabernacle. It is not. The focal point, the main focal point, the first focal point of a Catholic church is the altar. Because it's where the sacrifice happens. And a lot, of, a lot of altars in a lot of churches are made up of permanent and precious materials. Marble, granite, big stone of some sort. Because it's supposed to mimic the Old Testament sacrifice. Now we have a wooden altar, which is fine. And a lot of times wooden altars, what they'll actually have is they'll have a slab. If you strip everything apart, they'll have a slab of marble or a slab of granite, which is known as the altar stone, which is supposed to mimic and hold, go all the way back to the permanent precious materials of Old Testament altars. Just a little factoid. 
And then finally, so now that we have something to sacrifice, we have somebody to do the sacrifice, we have a place to sacrifice, there's a fourth element that has to happen, and that is the sacrifice has to be consumed in some way. Either by eating it, by drinking it, or by burning it. Okay? So it has to be consumed. Eating, drinking, or burning. Finally, last thing is, is there's two types of sacrifice. There's a clean sacrifice, food and, food and drink, or a bloody sacrifice, which is the animal. Now, before we get too far afield, before we start to like think a little bit too into this, just going to name it. Um, I have a dog. I love my dog. I'm not going to be bringing my dog in here and sacrificing him on the altar anytime soon, all right? What we're thinking of, though, we think of sacrifice, we might think of it a little bit off. We might think that seems kind of cruel, it seems kind of rough to be killing animals in a, in a temple. But there's a reason why. You see, what we sacrifice is what we value. And if we think 4,000 years ago, what's the most valuable thing that people had? Crops, livestock, and drink. <clears throat> Those were the things that were, that were sacrificed. Those were the things that were brought forth. Those were the things that were offered up to God, right? Set apart for God, given to God on an altar of sacrifice because they were the things that were the most valuable to the people. They gave what was most valuable. Because if you had a lot of land for crops, you were doing pretty good. You were going to be able to eat for a long time. If you had a bunch of head of cattle or a bunch of sheep as a shepherd, you were doing pretty good. You were going to be able to eat and you were going to be fine and you had the sustenance that you needed. That's how wealth was judged a lot in the Old Testament. But when you brought one of those oxen, when you brought one of those sheep, when you brought some of that grain that you had and you offered it on, a, on an altar in the temple for a sacrifice, you felt it. If you ever have, if you're a man and, and you ever uh, did get married or planning on getting married or you ever thought about getting somebody an engagement ring, when you walk into that jeweler, into that jewelry store and you go to buy an engagement ring, guess what's going to happen? You're going to feel the sacrifice. I'm just letting you know. What is it, two months' salary, something like that, right? Like, you're going to feel that sacrifice because what we need, we need, this, we need to feel it. We're not offering these sacrifices on an altar because God's hungry or God wants a pet. We're offering this sacrifice because it's a way for us to feel it. It's a way for us to offer ourselves with the sacrifice. I'm just going to let you know, the same guys that whenever you go to buy that engagement ring, when you, when you mess up and you got to buy flowers, you're going to feel it again, right? And again and again and again, right? Because you feel the sacrifice. It's a key, it's a key element in understanding this, this theme, this idea, when it comes to our mass. Because we feel it. We feel the sacrifice. Throughout the Old Testament, 
multiple times when God speaks to his people, when God is talk, like engaging people throughout the book of Genesis especially, we see time after time in some of these most popular stories of moments where people offered sacrifice. We go all the way back to, to Genesis, right? We have Adam and Eve. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. Well, Cain and Abel, they offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. And what happens? Cain offers a poor sacrifice. Abel offers the perfect sacrifice. Cain offers his, he, he offers from his excess. He goes, he has all of his flocks, he has all of his crops. He takes some of his stuff, and he takes like the not choice portion, the not best ones, right? And that's what he brings to God. And Abel, the younger brother, is the one that looks at his stuff and he says, no, I'm going to take the best and I'm bringing it to God. That's why younger siblings are always better. I mean, if you ever have a question about that, you can ask my sister. I'm much better. But anyway. So you have Cain and Abel, they offer sacrifice, and God accepts Abel's, and he doesn't accept Cain's. A little while later in the book of Genesis, what we have is we have Noah. And Noah, after, bringing, after listening to God and building the ark and bringing on the animals and doing all these things, what does he do? Once the waters recede, once they finally are off the boat, he looks out and he starts to praise God in an act of praise and thanksgiving. What does he do? It says that he builds an altar... And he offers sacrifice in thanksgiving to God. It's his first move of worship to God is to offer sacrifice in his name. A little while later in the book of Genesis, we come across Abraham and Isaac. It was our first reading last week. Where Abraham and Isaac, Abraham and his, and his wife Sarah are praying for a child. They just want a child. They're getting old and they want a child. That's all they want. They've asked God and appealed to God and continue to go to God and say, God, bless us with a child. And God finally listens to him and finally gives them a child. Abraham's 100 years old and, and, 100 years old and Sarah is 91 when she has Isaac. And Abraham and Sarah have the ch a child for the first time. Praise God. And it's a miracle. And they love their son. He's their only son. He's their only child. And in Genesis 22, God looks at Abraham and says, now I want you to offer Isaac back to me. I want you to offer Isaac as a sacrifice back to me. It's the only place in Scripture that God asks for a human sacrifice. Just imagine what that was like for Abraham. Praying, begging, pleading to God over and over and over for a son. And finally, he gets that blessing. He, he's raising that blessing. And then God says, and I want him back. <coughs> and Abraham listens. Abraham brings Isaac to Mount Moriah, and what he does is he takes the wood of the sacrifice. He takes the wood that he's going to use to burn, to burn this sacrifice back to God, and he gives, the, he gives the wood to Isaac. And Isaac follows Abraham up a mountain. The one son, beloved son, innocent son, follows, God, follows his father up a mountain and goes to the place of the sacrifice and actually asks his dad, where's the lamb? And Abraham leans in and says, God's going to provide it. Still faithful. Abraham builds the altar, puts all of the wood, lays his son, and goes to slaughter him. And God stops him. 
and says, you have been faithful to me in these ways. I'm going to remain faithful to you and to our covenant. And sure enough, he looks off in the side. He sees, a, he sees a sheep stuck in some thicket, and that's what he offers as a sacrifice. Now, if you've ever heard the story of Abraham and Isaac, and you've ever like leaned into it and prayed with it, or you've ever seen like a depiction of it, so often Isaac is depicted as like this little like kind of naive kid. Eight, nine, ten years old. Hey, Dad, what's up next, right? We can do a little Bible math, though. Because if in Genesis 17, when God promises that they're going to have, that Abraham and Sarah, that they're going to have their son Isaac, and then we hear that this whole episode happens where she finally does get pregnant, and they have the child, and they raise the child, and then it's a long time from then that we hear about this episode, and then right after Genesis 22, we hear Genesis 23. I know that's shocking, but the first passage of Genesis 23 says that Sarah dies at 127 years old. 127 minus 90, when she had the, when she was, came, became pregnant, is 37. Isaac was not a kid. Isaac was in his mid to early 30s. The sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac points to another sacrifice where another man in his mid to early 30s is going to take the wood of his own sacrifice on his shoulders, is going to walk up a, 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 an innocent man, an only beloved son, an only begotten son, is going to walk up a mountain with the, with the wood of his own sacrifice on his shoulders, and he's going to go to a place that he doesn't want to go to, is going to wonder what God is doing at some times, and when he does, he's going to become the sacrifice. So much so that we put it on our wall. All of the sacrifices of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They all point in some way to Jesus. And Isaac in particular, his sacrifice points to Christ. What God would never ask of Abraham, God did himself. The last sacrifice of the Old Testament that I want to hit on for us is with Moses and Pharaoh. We're going to dive into this a little bit more next week, but Moses, we heard about it last week where Moses, he frees Israel. They go through the Red Sea, right? The Egyptians become fish food. That whole thing happens. They go to, they go to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up. He gets the Ten Commandments, which we heard in our first reading today, right? And when he gets the Ten Commandments and, and the four chapters of how the, how the Israelites are to live, he comes down and he looks at the people and he reads out all of these things to them. And they say, we will do all that the Lord has asked of us. This is what ends up happening. This is how Moses ratifies the covenant with God about how they are going to live. So when Moses came to the people and related all the words and ordinance of the Lord, they answered with one voice, we will do everything that the Lord has told us. Moses then wrote down all of the words of the Lord, and rising early in the morning, he built at the foot of the mountain an altar. Then having sent young men of the Israelites to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice young bulls as communion offerings to the Lord, Moses took half of the blood and put it in large bowls, and the other half he splashed on the altar. Then taking the book of the covenant, he read it aloud to the people, who all answered, 
all that the Lord has said we will hear and do. Then he took the blood, splashed it in the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Now when we hear that, we might think, okay, that's great, Father, like, what's the big deal? Well, to ratify the covenant with the people of Israel, what Moses does is he takes the book of all that the Lord has said and he reads it to the people. He starts with the word and he reads it to the people. He makes sure that they know and they're educated and they hear the word repeatedly and constantly. And after they hear the word and it's broken up open for them so they can receive it, then all together they stand before the Lord and they say, all that the Lord has done All that the Lord has said, we will hear and do. Basically, we believe in everything that the Lord has said to us. Kind of like when we, after the liturgy of the word, we'll stand up all together and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then Moses takes the blood of the sacrifice that has been offered as thanksgiving to God. And what he does is, he does some of it and puts some of it on the altar, and the rest of it, he makes sure that it splashes on the people. He makes sure that they feel the sacrifice. God ordains a way later on for us that we are able to receive said sacrifice. Not just wear it. Like I said last week, so much of what we do is 4,000 years old, not two. So much of what we do every Sunday when we come to Mass goes all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to Mount Sinai, all the way back to what was happening in the Old Testament when God was continuing to form and teach His people how He wanted to be worshipped. And it was through sacrifice. I'll end with this. There's a... um, I've taught a class a couple of times on the the spirituality and the, um, and the, the role of the laity in the church. You don't know what the laity is. The laity, basically, it's everybody that's been baptized that's not ordained, right? So you all are the laity, right? One of the things I end with, a question that I, con- I end with every time I teach this, um, it's one of my last classes. It's, it's one of my favorites. I ask people, I say, when we come to Mass, what is the most active moment for the lay faithful in Mass? And I've gotten all kind of questions. I've gotten all kind of answers. The sign of the cross at the beginning. Um, I've gotten the, the Our Father because we're all praying together. I've gotten Holy Communion because we're coming up and we're actually moving and not just sitting in our pew, right, receiving. The most active moment for the lay faithful in Mass, the most active moment for all of you in Mass is the offertory. Now, let me put a disclaimer real quick. That's not my pitch to get you to increase our collections, all right? But it's the offertory. When you're baptized, you're baptized priest, prophet, and king. Priest verse. You have the ability. Check that. You have the call by virtue of your baptism to offer sacrifice for the sake of another. 
after we pass the collection and after we bring up the bread and wine and after we do all these things, right, what's happening is, is that those two elements, those things are meant to symbolize the prayers of all the people, the, the, the joys of all of us, the sorrows of all of us. That's meant to recognize and to be consecrated by the hands of the priest and offered to God. And we know God hears it because every time we come to Mass, what does he do? He responds with himself. But the offertory is the, is the spot where we are called, where every person in this church has a job to do, where we bring all of what we want to pray for to the Lord. It's also interesting because that's most of the time the spot where we're most distracted. That homily was too long, Father. <laughs> too much laughing anyway <laughs> okay. that that there was I, I that that homily was a little bit too long that music's a little bit too this that this is going on oh she I, I, whew, I wonder if I can make it to my mama's house right I, I, I wonder if there's going to be a line at big mics or pole eats after mass where do I want to go eat that's <laughs> usually the place where we're most distracted but the offertory is the moment where we're bringing something, where you are bringing something to the Lord and having it offered at the hands of the priest. So, quick, so that begs the question, tonight as you come to Mass, what are you bringing? Every time we come to Mass, we have this ability. Every time we come to Mass, this is how we engage, this is how we offer, this is how we sacrifice to the Lord. So what are you bringing tonight? Father, that relate, my, my relationship is in shambles. Nobody knows that my marriage is struggling, but it is. Father, I, I have no idea what next year is going to bring, and the clock's ticking because it's already March. I don't know what school, I don't know if I'm going to get in, and I'm just anxious. Lord, like, I, I, am, I am up to my eyeballs in grief, and i got to put on a pretty face for people just to be strong. I'm sick. I, just, I know somebody that just got a diagnosis, and it's, just, it's, it's hard on their family. <clears throat> Whatever it is that you're struggling with, this favorite, my favorite sin just keeps coming up, and I can't kick it. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, as we come to Mass tonight, put it on the patent. <laughs> Give it to the Lord. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you need prayers for, if there's a great thing that's going on in your life and you're like, Lord, I just want to celebrate with you and give you thanks, great, put it on the altar. We know God hears it because he responds to us. In fact, this is the words I'm going to say, and it's interesting because we miss it because it's kind of when we're standing up and there's some noise going on in church. But after we bring up this stuff and, and we get everything set up, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. The, the text of the church even says it, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable. 
So what are you offering tonight? What are you bringing to the Lord to be offered, to be consecrated, to be made holy, to be sacrificed to our God? As I wrap up, we're going to take a couple of seconds. And what I want you to do is in the, just in the silence of your heart, name something before God. Someone, something, some situation, some struggle or some thanksgiving. Name something and bring it to our Lord.